All right, well, tonight we will be in the book of Judges, book of Judges, chapter 11, looking at verses 29 through 40. You can find our passage on page 212 in the Pew Bible. We're reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mitzvah and Gilead. And from Mitzvah of Gilead he, uh, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of, of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. And so Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. And he struck them from Arar uh, to, the to the neighborhood of Minith, uh, twenty cities, and as far as Ab um, Abel Karamim, uh, with a great blow. And so the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mitzpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have come, become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth, and, and, and do to me according. You have opened your mouth, sorry. My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. Do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies, on the Ammonites. And so she, so she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone two months, that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. And so he said, Go. Then he sent her away for two months, and she departed, she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter, daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So as we continue in Jephthah's ministry as judge of Israel, we are uh, given a, a surprise in the storyline. And chapter 10 was essentially uh, about laying the groundwork for Jephthah's rise in ministry. In chapter 11, the first 11 verses were dedicated to Jephthah's calling. And then 17 verses uh, in chapter 11 were given to his failed attempts at diplomacy with the Ammonites. And now comes the great battle against the Ammonites, the thing that's been building up for, uh, for over, over a chapter and a half. And we get five verses, not just five verses, even in those five verses, only three of those verses are actually about the battle with the Ammonites. God may, you may as well have just inscripturated, you know, and Jephthah fought against the Ammonites and won, right? Uh, so, so what gives with this? What, 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 what are we supposed to make of this? Well, the author obviously doesn't think that it is a primary issue to be concerned about the details of the battle with Ammon. Rather, our focus is apparently to remain upon Jephthah and his, in, in his uh, antics, for lack of a better phrase, at this point. 
And so God will at times surprise his people, and, the, and those surprises are not always something that we will enjoy. There are plenty of times in the scriptures where victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat by a great miracle wrought by the power of the Lord. Here we have its opposite, where, a great, where upon a great victory, Jephthah does something terrible involving his own child. And this episode has produced no shortage of speculation from scholars and even, uh, and even outright rejection of the text by many modern readers. And so we would do well to, as this is the word of God, to take this text seriously and others like it, uh, to consider what we can learn from these, from, from these words in the Old Testament and what indeed God is teaching us by them. And so tonight we're going to do three things. First, we're going to consider the, the great victory that God grants. Secondly, the great mystery to sort out concerning Jephthah and his daughter. And then finally, we will consider the grave lesson that we learn from all of this. So first, we consider the great victory in verses 29 through 33. It is a divine victory. In verse 29, we are told that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And we've been reading the book of Judges long enough that we, we know what that means. It's go time, right? This is the good stuff right here. And, he, uh, and so he passed through the area and, head, and collecting up his, his army and then goes and meets the Ammonites. Now, it's not exactly clear uh, um, uh, what, um, what it means for the spirit of the Lord to, to come upon a judge. We're not de detailed at that out. We would be mistaken, though, to think that the spirit of the Lord coming upon a judge means he automatically gains superpowers. Uh, the only person to, to experience that would, seems to have been Samson. Uh, he'd seen, uh, he, but that's more the exception, not the rule. Uh, more likely, it seems that this judge, uh, the spirit of the Lord caused the judge to become the clear leader and identified him as able to gather together the necessary forces uh, to fight against Israel's enemies. It's essentially a kind of spiritual enablement by the Lord for the judge to be the effective leader and deliverer of his people. Now, at any rate, verses 32 to 33 reveal that Jephthah was a smashing success as a military leader. And, and also, the text says that God indeed gave the Ammonites into his hand. The narrator says it in verse 32. The victory of Jephthah, though we note, involves no miracles, but it was yet a divine victory, not a human victory. And we'll discuss Jephthah's vow at length in a moment, uh, but we do need to see here that the vow was completely unnecessary. It was clear that the Lord had raised up Jephthah to deliver Israel. His spirit had come upon him to enable him to lead, God, lead God's people into victory. So why would God want Jephthah to make such a vow as he did? The answer is that the Lord didn't, and he wouldn't require him to do so. And so Jephthah's vow from the outset was rash and unnecessary. But before we get into that, we also need to see that this victory was, it was a divine victory, but also it was an extensive victory. We are told that Jephthah fought against the Ammonites and drove them back all the way back into their own land. Uh, and, and in fact, Jephthah's victory was so extensive that his, his you know, repulsion of the invaders turned into invasion of Ammon itself. And, and so basically, he didn't just push the Ammonites out or back, he subdued them under the boot of Israel. And, you know, you, 
like you couldn't ask for a better victory than that. Not only did we defend ourselves, but we actually took over the enemy's territory. And it is for this that I would argue that Jephthah is included in Hebrews 11, in the Hall of Faith, as one of the four judges that is, that is called out by name as a man who did great deeds by faith in the Lord. Indeed, this is an incredible victory. Israel has been oppressed severely for almost two decades. And now Jephthah, by the Lord's empowerment and providence, has wrought an incredible victory to relieve Israel of one of their primary oppressors. Indeed, Jephthah accomplished a great deed by faith. And we ought to take heart from his example here. That though we might find ourselves, like Israel, laid very low due to the consequences of our own sinfulness, Do you think the church at any point could find itself laid very low because of the consequences of its own sins and its failures? Oh, yes, absolutely. It has throughout church history. Um, Yet God is merciful. Even though the church may be low for a long time, God is merciful and good to bring about her deliverance if we will only repent and trust in him. Indeed, even greater is the victory won for us in Jesus Christ, the true and ultimate judge or deliverer. Such we sing that we always have the victory in Jesus, no matter what we face, because of that gospel grace. We have have great confidence in Christ that we will one day conquer all of our foes by, uh, by faith, and that in time, our faith even itself will become sight. All of that is true, and we can take a positive lesson and encouragement from the ministry and deeds of Jephthah. But as we will also see, and we will see not only here, but also at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, it is possible not uh, not only to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, uh, but to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, as Jephthah indeed does. And we are presented uh, uh, with this in this great mystery that I call a mystery uh, that we have to sort out in verses 34 through 40. And we come to the main question that many people ask after they read this text and all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. Did Jephthah just burn his daughter as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to the Lord? And if he did, what are we to make of this? And this brings us back, actually, to the vow that he made in verses 30 to 31. Jephthah, for some inexplicable reason, well, I mean, I think we can understand the reason. Uh, He was feeling insecure, even though the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, he still had his doubts. And so he made a vow to sacrifice to God as a burnt offering, whatever came out of his house, when he returned home. But we also would say, Jephthah, what you thinking? What you thinking, man? All right? I mean, it's, you know, best case scenario, it's an animal. Worst case scenario is your daughter. Somewhere in between is like a servant? Like, like, well, like, what are you thinking, dude? Like, just promise him a bull, all right? Like, be more specific, not just like whatever comes out of my house. And when he returns home, his only child, as the text is careful to reiterate and make very clear, um, his daughter comes out to celebrate his victory, and Jephthah cries out in grief because now he has to sacrifice his daughter in fulfillment of his vow. His daughter, for her part, to many people's confusion, submits herself to her father, uh, and the text says that euphemistically he did to her according to his vow. Don't you love the way the Bible says stuff like that? It does, well, I don't want to write what he actually did. So I'm just going to say 
he did it to her according to his vow. There's actually a divide within evangelical scholarship and even uh, into uh, many pastors in the evangelical church as to whether uh, Jephthah actually sacrificed her. And, and, and there are two positions, essentially. One, of course, that says he did, uh, and the second one that says uh, that uh, he sacrificed her metaphorically in that uh, he committed her to a life of celibate service at the tabernacle courts. That, uh, that she was, uh, so therefore, uh, it makes sense, uh, and I'm going to give you the whole case, okay? But, but you might ask, why would anyone debate this? Well, first of all, this, I will point out this wasn't a debate until the Middle Ages, until someone said, well, maybe he didn't do it. The early church uh, the, understood that Jephthah had sacrificed his daughter. Uh, they, what, their deba- what they were debating was whether or not that was a good thing, whether or not that was right. Uh, the reformers uh, in, in, uh, during the Reformation period were fairly mixed about whether or not Jephthah actually sacrificed her or didn't sacrifice her. Uh, and it has been more um, in modern times that uh, authors and scholars have taken uh, uh, more often the view uh, of a symbolic sacrifice of dedicating her to uh, a celibate uh, life of service to the temple. And I'm going to give you the basic case for this. Okay, one of my professors at, at, at RTS in Jackson has this position. He's, he's, he's written about this. Okay, and, so, uh, and so Jephthah, they'll say, this is the basic case for this, to say, look, Jephthah demonstrated his commitment to the Lord and was under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord. He is one of the four judges listed in Hebrews as a man of faith who did great deeds of faith. Therefore, there is just no way, there is no way that the deliverer under the influence of the Spirit of the Lord who is mentioned in Hebrews 11, would have planned and actually followed through with the human sacrifice. Even if he made the rash vow, there's no way he would have actually killed his daughter and sacrificed her on the altar because this was an abomination in the sight of God according to the law. As for his vow, uh, they write that, uh, they say that Jephthah's vow, Jephthah was probably expecting an animal to come out of his house. Uh, um, there were people, also they argue, uh, including women who were dedicated to serve at the entrance of the tabernacle. There's at least two mentions of this, one in the book of uh, Exodus, Exodus uh, 38, I believe, 38.8, and, uh, and then also in 1 Samuel. Um, and consider also, speaking of Samuel, think of Samuel. Samuel, um, you know, uh, uh, you have, uh, he was dedicated himself to service to the Lord by his mother and, and given over to uh, to there to go live um, and serve the Lord, uh, and and also they are they point out that there is no explicit statement that Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter, uh, or any, uh, and further there is no negative evaluation of Jephthah for doing what he did. Given all of this, they say, um, it would seem that Jephthah didn't sacrifice his daughter, but instead dedicated his daughter to a life of service to the Lord as a virgin. And so, therefore, he and his daughter mourned her virginity because now his line would be cut off. That is why he mourned. That is why he went and that is why she went and mourned her virginity for months up in the mountains before being committed to, um, to, uh, to, this, uh, to this. Now, I really did dig into this as much as I could. I, I pulled every commentary I could find on this. I checked about 13 or 
13 to 15 different commentaries on this. And some of those commentaries were survey commentaries that picked up uh, different, uh, different, uh, different commentators uh, from the Reformed era uh, during the Reformation period and, then, and the early church period as well. So I've really kind of tried to do my due diligence in this. I probably missed some uh, plenty of journal, uh, theological journal articles uh, that have been written about it. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to say I could not be persuaded to, to, to believe that Jephthah didn't do what he, I believe he did, which is sacrifice himself. Um, and, 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 this, and I'll give you why. First, Jephthah's vow was foolishly vague, and the wording, even in the Hebrew, applies to animal or human. And so that's why he got so upset when his daughter came out. Presumably, he would have been fine if one of his servants had come out, which is like, which is not cool either. All right. Secondly, um, you're like, this was not in the job description, sir. All right. I did not sign up as this an option of my employment. Right. Uh, secondly, uh, the word uh, for burnt offering is never used metaphorically in the Old Testament. It always refers to literal burnt sacrifices. Um, third, uh, while it is true that women served in the tabernacle, there is not one example. Uh, even including Samuel, poor, good old sweet Samuel and his little baby ephod that his mom would bring him, right? Um, they, uh, they, there was never not one example of celibate service, of someone basically dedicating themselves to celibacy, to not marry, to not procreate uh, in, in service of the Lord. Not one example in the Old Testament. Even if people are dedicated to serve, they still would get married. Samuel got married and had kids. <laughs> he was dedicated to the service. Now, he had some wicked sons, but the point is he got married, all right? Fourth, um, uh, and this was a point that Matthew Henry brought out. He said, why would his daughter weep for her virginity beforehand when she had her whole life to do so? Okay. Uh, and, and, and we would add to that also, why would, they, why would the, the young ladies of Israel have a, a, a whole mourning you know, service thing that they do on an annual basis, even if it's just a regional thing, if, if there wasn't something truly tragic that occurred here, you know. And so, uh, uh, fifth, uh, the, the Bible loves to deal with hard things by euphemism. And, and we'll see that continually throughout the book of Judges. Very rarely does it just say plain what happened. Um, and, so, uh, and so the text doesn't say that Jephthah literally killed his daughter, you know, took the blood, threw it on the altar, and like, I mean, it didn't say that he did all that, it, uh, but it does say that he did to her according to his vow. And so, and finally, uh, the biggest objection, the most common objection that I come across, honestly commonly amongst pastors, is this whole idea of Jephthah's inclusion in Hebrews 11. Just, if he had actually done this, it's such an abomination in the sight of God, there's no way the author of Hebrews would have included him. In, in the hall of faith, as we like to call it. First of all, we call it that. That's not what the actual, this actually calls just that part of Hebrews, the letter. <laughs> but uh, but also want to remind us that Gideon and Samson are mentioned too. Gideon's, you know, Gideon, there's, no, there's no, nothing metaphorical uh, about Gideon starting an idolatrous cult. And that apparently did not preclude him from being, from being put on the list. And I think idolatry on the rank of the commandments is pretty important, right? Number one, the first one. So, uh, and so, and so, as you know, and, and and also, I mean, Samson's lust—he's ruled by his desire for women he should not have, 
is, is in his just we'll get into Samson later, uh, but also he's still included. And so as I don't find any issue with Jephthah being included, even though he did this heinous act. And so having established this, we can we can move on to consider uh, what Jephthah's vow reveals. Um, and the vow that he made back in verses 30 and 31 and that he carried out when he got home, it reveals, first of all, his lack of faith. Even though the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, that apparently wasn't enough for Jephthah. Jephthah needed more than that. We've talked about this before. We get in a bad place when we say, yeah, I know I got all the stuff that God gave me. Like, I've got the Word of God, I've got the gospel, I've got those things, but I just need something a little bit more. Right? I just need a little bit something else. And so he, and so he had, but Jephthah had bargained with uh, the elders at Gideon. He had bargained with Ammon, even that didn't go anywhere. And apparently he thought, hey, third time's the charm. I'll bargain with the Lord and I'll make my deal with him. Also, uh, his, his vow reveals his lack of faith, but it also reveals his misguided zeal. I read, I read one commentary last week that, that said, uh, um, two weeks ago, actually, at this point, um, but it said that Jephthah is a man who only paints in bold colors. And I was like, that's a good way to describe Jephthah. He's a bold colors kind of guy. No, 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 no effeminate pastels for him. You know, you don't water down his paint. It's nothing but the primary colors. He was born in difficulty and hardship. This is not a man with soft edges. And he, had, he was committed to the Lord, you could say, in his own way. And apparently, he didn't know the law as well as he thought he did. Because if he had, he would have known that even if one makes a foolish vow like he did, he could have redeemed his child's, li- child's life which by paying what essentially was a fine. Or he could have simply not fulfilled the vow and invited a curse upon himself for making such a foolish vow and not fulfilling it. The point is he had options. But Jephthah was a man of deep commitment and a man of his word. And so he carried out what, what, he, had, what he promised. Here is an example of someone's strength becoming a tragic liability. It also reveals uh, the further conformity that Israel is having with Canaan as it becomes harder and harder to separate their religious practices out. It was not unknown. Indeed, it was thought the greatest sacrifice one could make to sacrifice your own child, especially your eldest son. There are ancient records that verify this. And so we see here that it matters what we commit ourselves to. It matters whether or not the thing that we commit ourselves to is true or not. Or as Delroth Davis put it, well, it just well, some people, you know, they'll commit themselves to, to certain ideas and causes and positions that are simply wrong, but they won't back down. And Delroth Davis put it rather bluntly. He said, some of our most solemn commitments may be very stupid. So how do we know which one is which? We test them by the word of God. That's how we know. And so we have a very grave lesson to learn here uh, from Jephthah in his vow. And the, and, the, and the danger here is the danger of opening up your mouth. Some of us here would be like, I know that danger. My wife reminds me of it regularly. I know the danger of opening up one's mouth. All right, open mouth, insert foot. You know, that's the normal operation. Um, Jephthah's name literally means in the Hebrew, is Hebrew for he opens. And as Jephthah opens up his mouth, he brings tragedy upon himself. 
And while commentators may be divided on the question of the literal or metaphorical sacrifice of his daughter, everyone agrees that Jephthah's vow was foolish, unnecessary, and ultimately tragic. And there is a reason that James warns in the New Testament about the fires that our tongues can set and how they can burn down a whole forest. A reason that the Lord told us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We are not to make vows lightly or rashly because our words matter. Our commitments matter. Even if they don't matter to us, they matter to God. But if we make a foolish vow, then we ought to repent of our foolishness and seek to speak truth because God doesn't fail to fulfill his commitments. Nor does God make rash and foolish vows himself. That's, those are the things that we do. Consider the great cost of Jephthah's vow in combination with his misguided zeal. His daughter was cut off from life by his own hand, and he ended his own line. All for a vow that was unnecessary in the first place. And we... And we and we need to consider what unnecessary sorrows God's people bring upon themselves with our rash words and irrational commitments. Let us be clear about what we are committing ourselves to, about what we are willing to sacrifice dearly for, and to make sure that it is actually of the Lord. And this leads us finally to the only acceptable sacrifice, which is not our children. Indeed, our God does not delight in the sacrifices of children. Those are an abomination. But neither does he, he says, does he delight in the sacrifice of bulls or goats. David, David said as much in the Psalms. Rather, it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving from the heart that God desires most from his people. The sacrifice of Jephthah's daughter is made all the more tragic by the fact that not only did he sacrifice, not only did he sacrifice the thing that was most precious to him, that he cut off his own line for. And what did the Lord do with that sacrifice? He rejected it. He didn't receive that. Because God had already shown clearly in Genesis 22 that he does not, in the near sacrifice of Isaac, he does not want his servants sacrificing his, their children. The only sacrifice of a child that he'll accept is his own. It is the sacrifice of his only son. But God the Father doesn't do that in some misguided zeal. He doesn't do it to set a good example. He does it because there is no other way for his people to be redeemed. The sacrifice of Jesus is not a means of deliverance among many. It is the only deliverance of God's people. Jesus is our deliverance. So the tragedy of Jephthah's daughter implores us to consider our oaths and vows, to consider the commitments we make and whether they are indeed biblical. But there is one sacrifice that we can rejoice in, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. For there is the fulfillment of the vow that God made. Indeed, the covenant that he established in the blood of his own son, nothing less than the new covenant itself. And in the new covenant, we find grace, the grace that we need 
for eternal life, the mercy of God for our own broken promises, for our own rash vows and true deliverance from from the oppression of sin and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in the midst of a dark episode here in Judges, and we know that things are only going to get darker and darker in this book, that the gospel light shines ever bright. And so, Lord, we pray that we would indeed search our own hearts tonight. That we would be honest with ourselves about rash vows and foolish commitments. About being committed to ourselves, about pointless things. And commit ourselves to the only things that truly matter. The, things that, the only things that will truly endure. Your kingdom, your gospel, your son, your church. Father, we pray that you would lead your people in repentance and faith. May you renew in us a sense of our understanding of your grace and goodness. May you renew the sense of the certainty and the truth of the gospel and the worthiness to to seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and entrust everything else to be added to us as your son told us. And Lord, as we pursue that in faith, May you continue to add to your people and strengthen us, Father. And Lord, indeed, when we fail, when we make a rash vow, Lord, may we confess it. May we repent of it. That we may not make needless and pointless, indeed tragic sacrifices in the name of a vow that never should have been made. But may we look to our Savior who continued to redeem and uphold and bless and sanctify us until we come into your kingdom in fulfillment of the gospel promises, indeed the vows that you have made to redeem for yourself a people, to bring them to your place and to rule over them forever. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.